James chapter 5, verses 7 through 20, these are God's words. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it, until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no lest you fall into judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Then if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So for the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. In the previous two passages, the prophet, the Lord's brother, had been addressing us on the topic of money, the theme of money, and how foolish it is to uh, live for uh, that which is about to be destroyed, uh, in a world that uh, cannot and will not last. Uh, but now, he is teaching us how to live for the world that will last forever, even though we do not yet see it. And the answer to that is, be patient. Verse 7, therefore, be patient, brethren. And he gives the example of the farmer. God has forced the farmer to learn patience because he can't make the rain come. And even if he did, it would have to be at the right times. There's a proper time for the early rain. There's a proper time for the latter rain, uh, germinating the seed, and uh, so forth. Uh, and so he has to wait upon the Lord. And then he says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts. Uh, and he uses this idea of being patient and entrusting our heart, establishing our heart, strengthening our heart in the Lord. And it really runs through the entire section through verse 18, where he's using Elijah as an example of someone who prayed for no rain, then for rain, and heaven gave the rain, and the earth produced its fruit. And so how are, how are we to live patiently? How are we to live as those whose hearts are strengthened in the Lord and not bound up in this world? 
What does that look like? Well, one of the primary places that it shows itself in our life, and this is not surprising considering the themes from earlier in the book, is in our speech. If we are patient from for, if we are patient for the Lord, if we are trusting Him, uh, then we do not uh, grumble against our brother. Uh, after all, He is our brother, and the Lord who is saving us is saving Him, uh, and so we have a special care for and care about how we interact with those who profess faith, those who are members of the visible church, uh, because Jesus is right at the door. If you knew he could overhear you on the other side of the door, uh, then you wouldn't grumble against your brother. But of course he does hear you, uh, and he is at hand. The coming of the Lord uh, is at hand. And so we ought to be patient, like the prophet, prophets were patient, guarding their mouths, speaking only in the name of the Lord, uh, not like the false prophets who let uh, their impulses control their tongues, but like the true prophets who let the Lord control their tongues, uh, even though that sometimes meant they had to suffer more greatly uh, because they only spoke that way. And Job, you remember, he sat in silence for a week, and he was patient and persevering. Uh, and we learn, we discover in that book that God is compassionate to him the whole time. We see that God is growing him in the knowledge of, uh, of himself, and that uh, even the earthly things that he had lost uh, would be doubly paid to him uh, in the end. And of course, even his believing children whom he had lost or not ultimately lost, because they too will live forever. Uh, and now how great uh, will be the uh, those who were in his household, the number of those who were in his household, and so forth. And so you see the tenderness uh, of the Lord, both in the end to which he is bringing us, and tenderness towards us even in the midst uh, of our suffering. So we be patient with our tongues. We be patient and not grumble. Uh, we be patient and speak only in the name of the Lord. Uh, we be patient and be a steady person who is not uh, always making um, grandiose statements like swearing by heaven or swearing by earth or swearing by whatever it is. Verse 12 says any other oath. No, just a steady person. Speaks the right thing, yes, yes, no, no. It does not fill his ordinary conversation uh, with drama. Uh, he saves uh, oaths and vows for those proper occasions uh, that the Scripture teaches us for making them and taking them. And if we are living then in the light of heaven, that changes how we respond to the varying conditions on earth. Now, our experience of providence is much more up and down, or very much up and down now, by comparison, uh, to what it shall be. Uh, and so there are going to be times when we are suffering. But if we are responding to our suffering in light of um, the rule of the Lord Jesus and the soon return of the Lord Jesus, then if you're suffering, you respond to that by praying. And if you're cheerful, if you're joyful, you respond to that by singing a psalm. And if you're sick, 
you want to make as good spiritual use of your sickness as you can. And so you call for the elders of the church. What are they to do? Uh, what are they there to do? Is it some sort of mystical healing ceremony? No, they are shepherd teachers. And the sickness is a providence from God that you want to make right use of spiritually. And so you call them and they remind you of God's goodness. They remind you that uh, Jesus took upon himself our diseases and our iniquities. You remind them that Jesus has anointed them as those who belong specifically to him uh, by his sovereign choice, by his sovereign work. And you even use oil, or the elder does. The elder even uses oil to remind the believer that he has been set apart by God in Christ as much as the prophets and priests and kings of old had been set apart by God. How much more set apart can you get than being united to Christ through faith? And so we make right spiritual use of every circumstance. This Godward orientation of the heart. That's how you live in this world, knowing that this is not the, the eternal world, the everlasting world. You live with this Godward orientation. You respond to your suffering by prayer to God. You respond to cheerfulness by singing to God. You respond to unusual providence by getting the shepherding that you need uh, in it, and particularly in a sickness, which may be a form of chastening. There are a number of Corinthians who ought to have called for the elders of the church. Many of them were very ill, and some of them had died, fallen asleep in the Lord. Why? Well, they were taking the Lord's Supper in the wrong way, and the Lord was chastening them, and it would have been a inappropriate ministry of their elders if they were not probably possibly part of the problem and needing the apostle to come and write to the letter and correct them but it would have been an appropriate ministry of their elders uh, to come and talk to them and lead them in prayer and ask for god to bring about his own good purposes in the sickness and talk to the parishioner the church member about what sin he might be uh, ha might have opportunity to be repenting of, and if he repents from it, uh, lo and behold, the usefulness of the providence that God said has been accomplished, and he takes away the illness when the repentance has come. And so the one another in verse 16 is especially uh, with the elders. That's the context there. Uh, but uh, not only elders can be confessed to or, uh, or had to pray for you, uh, although Praise God uh, in a situation where it's difficult sometimes to know who's appropriate to tell what to. He's built into our uh, church family life uh, men who it ought to be appropriate to if they have been recognized and called according to the character that God has uh, defined in First Timothy 3 and uh, Titus 1. And also then in your family, it's always appropriate uh, to get the help of mom, to get the help of dad. And so this Godward orientation of life, uh, remembering that if when the Lord was going to bring drought and bring rain, he had Elijah pray. And we actually don't have Elijah praying for it not to rain um, in First Kings 17, uh, where that event takes place. It doesn't tell us that he did. It's implied. Some commentators, many commentators say, the uh, the prophet must be uh, relying on rabbinic tradition for this, or he was carried along by the Holy Spirit, 
and he recognized that men of God pray for what the word of God prophesies or for what the word of God promises. That's the prayer of faith. Right? When it says the, the prayer of faith will save the sick in verse 15. He's not telling some like secret magic prayer. He's like, no, you pray for what God's word says. That's what faith does. It believes what God's word says. And so, of course, if God's word promises salvation in Christ and you pray by faith in Christ to save, Christ will save. And I'm not just talking about healing from whatever that, that temporary illness was. He's talking about perfection, perfection of the soul and resurrection of the body and life everlasting conformed to Jesus' body and soul glorious forever. And so if, if Elijah prayed for a drought because God said there was going to be a drought, how much more should we pray for that? To be conformed to Christ, to uh, have our sanctification completed and the cleansing of our sins accomplished, to have, uh, to be brought safely to the last day where we'll be resurrected gloriously. Praise God. And if that is what we are living for and we have a brother who has lost sight of that, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, ought we not, out of love for our brother, want to be used by God to bring him back to living by that faith in Christ, to having that Godward orientation, to repent, turn away from his sins, come back again. Uh, and what a blessing then it is to be used of God in one another's lives uh, as he continues to complete the work that he's begun. So if someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Think about the things that men get to do in this world. And, you know, we all are busy and have things to get done, but if you get the opportunity to save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins, I think that's a pretty good day's uh, work that the Lord in his providence will have given you. And so there's this competing view of life in verses 7 through 20 to what we had seen going back uh, from 4.13 uh, to 5 verse 6, uh, which is this Godward eternal view of life. It doesn't ignore this life. It just interacts with this life and this world uh, mindfully of the Lord in fellowship with him, in remembrance of him. And may the Lord give us so to live so long as we are on the earth. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for this wonderful, practical, helpful book in your Holy Bible. And we ask that your Spirit would write its truth on our hearts. We are amazed, Lord, at how easily we become forgetful of what we have read and thought about when we were worshiping you. But we desire to live this way always with heart and mind responding to you. And so we pray that your Spirit would renew our minds and conform us uh, to the image of Christ, that we may be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but may be transformed. Grant it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.